You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to your Canadians Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast featured at CanadiansConnection.fm brings you the latest news, in-depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, hosted by Rick Stevens and Michael Spinella. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind-the-scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Michael Spinella, and I'll be your host for the next hour. This is episode 256 of the Canadians Connection podcast, and I'm very pleased to be joined in the studio by my co-host, the editor of the Hockey News Montreal, the founder and the president of Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. And how are you doing today, Rick? Welcome back, sir. Good to have you back in the studio, especially. This is supposed to be a quiet August, isn't it? Uh, instead, yeah, not really so far. <laughs> instead, blockbuster tra- three-team trade that the Canadians are involved in that we're going to be talking about today. And uh, speaking of blockbuster, and and um, we're going to talk about a little bit about fighting and fisticuffs and enforcers and those kinds of things. So uh, pretty exciting show. I'm glad to have you in the chair for it. Yeah, nice to be back here. Uh, there's a couple birthdays that we had this week, so we'll start off the show with that and then get everyone up to date on all the other Montreal Canadiens news. And then in segment two, uh, like you said, we're going to take a bit of a deep dive here on the fighting and enforcers in the NHL. And then in segment three, it's the Have Your Say segment. Our Canadians Connection question of the week is, do you support a ban on fighting in junior hockey? And who is the best fighter that you ever saw? We want to make sure we hear from you. And Rick, what's the best way for our listeners to reach out to us? You can reach out to us via text. Uh, Text us anytime, 24 hours a day via the Rocket Sports text line. Easy to remember. It's 5853ROCKET. That's 5853ROCKET. You can also follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also check out the website, canadiansconnection.fm. So starting the show off with two fascinating stories from this week. And uh, we're going to send a happy birthday to Captain Nick Suzuki. He had his birthday on August the 10th. And also Caden Primo celebrated his birthday on August the 11th. Both of them have turned 24 years old. Yeah, really nice uh, photo on Instagram um, by Cole Caulfield on his, on his Instagram reels. A really nice photo of he and, um, and Nick Suzuki with a beautiful background that that blue-green water from when they were in uh, Barbados, Bermuda, <laughs> wherever they were in the Caribbean. Um, it, they, um, it's a gorgeous photo, both with golf clubs in their hands, drivers in their hands, and he says, HBD cap. Um, that's his, his caption. Uh, happy birthday, Captain. And 
and uh, yes, reminding us that that they had a wonderful vacation together, and hopefully they'll have um, some great chemistry on the ice this season. I should say, I should say, you, you're talking about birthdays. I should say, um, in addition, it seemed like it was birthday week. Uh, Ken Dryden also celebrated a birthday. We we had been talking about uh, goaltenders in our goaltender series the last three weeks. Ken Dryden's name came up in that. If you missed, uh, you want to go back and hear our goaltending series. Ken Dryden, unbelievable that he's 70, he turned 76 years old this week. And uh, you might have seen the photo on, uh, on Twitter, or X as they're calling it now, of Mark Bergevin, who also had a birthday, uh, 58 Ooh. years old. And Mark was celebrating. Who was he celebrating with? There was a picture, there was a trio, it looked like in a backyard by a pool, uh, Mark was celebrating his birthday with Dominic Ducharme and former PR um, director of the Canadians, Paul Wilson. Um, so interesting trio there. <laughs> uh, throw in um, Pierre-Luc Dubois and then that's his trifecta of all his favorite people. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And for our second uh, news article to start the show, uh, Brendan Gallagher had a nice quote saying, I know we'll be better. And uh, Rick, what did uh, Brendan Gallagher say when he was uh, talking to TSN? Yeah, he said, um, you know, you don't know what what you're going to have going into a season, but I know we'll be better. And how much better is up to us individually. Um, He said we'll be more comfortable with our system. He also said... I think Marty will be more comfortable with us. Um, so I think uh, for me, it was a good reminder that that yes, the players, especially the young players, are all going to take strides this year. You know, Caden Gooley, um, Yoris Levkovsky. But remember, um, Marty um, St. Louis is young in his coaching career, and we'll see how he takes a step forward as well. And um, we talked about it last summer that we expected. Um, Marty St. Louis to hit the books and and be watching video all summer and and, and that didn't happen. Um, but he he improves by being in games and last year was his his first full season. And then there were some you know trials and tribulation tribulations uh, that uh, that he experienced. We remember kind of a public one with with Sean Farrell and and he he. Uh, voiced his opposition but lost that battle with uh with Ken Hughes uh and and Sean Farrell uh was a good add to the the lineup so um I think that that Brandon Gallagher is saying this is on all of us uh, and we're all going to take a step forward um he went on to say that he's had a terrific summer he had a full summer to recover um he had those um he broke his ankle twice last last year um, and only played 37 games, but he's had a good summer. Um, he said he's hit all his targets and that hopefully he's going to stay healthy uh, for a, a full season this year. So make sure you stay up to date with everything Montreal Canadiens by checking out Habs Notepad, Habs Headlines, and feature articles throughout this busy offseason at THN.com Montreal. And now it's time to talk about the big trade that uh, we had to start the week. And this trade was a three-way trade to the Pittsburgh Penguins. It is Eric Carlson, Rem Pitlick, Dylan Ham- Hammerlick. Uh, you might want to correct me on that one, Rick. <laughs> go ahead. And then... Oh, sorry? No, go ahead. And then uh, there's a 2026 third round pick. And then... 
the San Jose Sharks receive a first-round draft pick from the Pittsburgh Penguins, Michael Granlund, Jan Ruda, and Mike Hoffman. And then the Montreal Canadiens receive a 2025 second-round pick, as well as Jeff Petrie, Casey DeSmith, and Nathan Legare. And honestly, this is a trade that I think worked out very well for all three teams. Each one of them got rid of something they didn't want, they brought in something that they kind of liked, and they have a few assets that they could potentially be flipping out. Uh, so from Montreal's perspective, uh, you get rid of Hoffman and Pitlick that I just don't think they really had a fit in this lineup going back to the moment they arrived in town. Uh, that being said, they bring back a Jeff Petrie at uh, 25% retained. He's likely going to be out the door before the season starts. Um, an AHL player and Nathan Legare, he put up 19 points with Wilkesbury Scranton last season. A uh, bit of a yawn for me. I think that's probably a throw in. And then to make the goaltending situation much muddier, uh, Casey <laughs> DeSmith comes into town. And again, I think this is a player that's likely not going to join the team come training camp, but uh, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of a uh, lot of pieces here. Um, and um, interesting. Um, and, and I think you're right that, that, um, uh, each general manager, uh, got what they, they wanted. Um, you know, San Jose was looking, was looking to move Eric Carlson, um, and, uh, and, and made that happen. Um, and, uh, the Canadians, um, yes, of course, Mike Hoffman, uh, you know, bad contract and, uh, uh, Rem Pitlick uh, probably destined for the AHL uh, this this season, as he spent a good portion of the time there last season. Um, so w- with with Ken Hughes not having to retain any salary, um, and and getting Pittsburgh to retain some of Jeff Petrie's salary, uh, that's all positive. Um, it's just it 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 complicate as you said it complicates the. Uh, the the opening night roster uh, even more, um, and you know one of the things that we've been talking about is is the young defensemen uh, that the Canadians have and their um, uh, their need to get in the lineup and play a lot. Um, and uh, Jeff Petrie will complicate that situation. It might be particularly uh, impactful on Justin Barron. Um, and that would be unfortunate. So if Petrie can be moved prior to the season, all the better now. But we remember that Kent Hughes is, is very patient. Um, and, uh, you know, and until he gets what he wants, and we don't know what that is, um, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be um, you know, negative towards the, the younger players. As far as opening up spots up front, we, we've talked about, um, you know, maybe a spot for um, Yasa Ullinen, uh, Emil Heineman, uh, Raphael Harvey-Pinard. The Canadians have way too many forwards, um, so moving uh, Mike Hoffman um, is good. Although, uh, was Mike Hoffman going to be in the Canadians' top 12? Was he more likely to be the 13th or 14th forward? Um, as I, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's, you can speculate on that. Um, but this is this is and and the the most the most uh, difficult to explain is the the goaltending uh, issue. The Canadians now have four goaltenders with NHL contracts. Uh, now this is going to give Ken Hughes options, I suppose, uh, depending on what happens as they try to send Caden Primo 
um, down to to uh, Laval, um, or or maybe even Casey DeSmith. There's there's going to be some NHL capable backup um, there um, if 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 uh, the Canadians lose a goaltender or or injuries uh, crop up. Um, uh, very interesting trade, very interesting timing, um, and I think it only you know uh, yields more questions uh, than answers right at this point. Yeah, I guess to further along with uh, Casey DeSmith, uh, he's been the backup in Pittsburgh for a couple of seasons now. I don't think that he necessarily has starter potential, but uh, at his best, he's kind of an average type goaltender. He can do a backup job, sometimes step up and uh, take the wheels for a little bit, but uh, he showed a lot of inconsistency last year with the the injury to Tristan Jari in Pittsburgh. So I don't think that he's necessarily a goalie of the future. And I personally would expect him to be gone by the time training camp happens, but you know, you can't confirm. And like you said, uh, Kent Hughes is somebody that likes to get what he wants. So I get the feeling he'll be quite patient with that. Now for the optimists and for those who uh, put a lot of stock in the way Sam Montempo played at the world championships, Casey DeSmith was very good at the, the world championships, um, uh, for for uh, the U.S. team, um, you know, with respect to to either of them, either Sam or Casey, I don't think there was a lot of talent at that that particular uh, championship. So I wouldn't put a lot of stock. Um, it, it, I wouldn't put a lot of faith in the, their stock being raised for either of them. Actually, from that tournament, anyway. And uh, after the trade, uh, we got to hear from Mike Hoffman on his time spent here in Montreal. Yeah, really, and um, you know, enjoyed my time there. A great group of guys, um, you know, like the coaching staff and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I don't think I, um, you know, really played up to uh, you know what I'm capable of doing. Um, you know, still real, really believe in myself and my game, and think that I can uh, you know contribute and have a lot to bring. So hopefully, uh, we can prove that in San Jose. Why well, he sounds. Um kind of regretful about his time in Montreal that he enjoyed his time. He enjoyed his teammates um, and no problem with the coaching staff, but uh, just didn't work out. Just didn't work out for whatever reason. I think he was, um, he was brought by Mark Bergevin to the Canadians to help with the power play. That never happened. Now I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lay that at the feet of Mike Hoffman. The, the, the power play has been dreadful partly because of, of the well, mostly I would say because of the system they were they've been playing and and you know Burroughs has got to take responsibility for that. Um, so whether he can he can resurrect his career in in San Jose, um, we wish we wish him well. Um, and uh, he sounds like he has a positive attitude going into it. Uh, kind of funny too that uh, Hoffman ends up in San Jose not the first time he's been traded to San Jose although the last time it was maybe like an hour or two and what ended up being kind of a fleecing of Ottawa Ottawa being caught with their pants down and uh, Florida essentially called up San Jose saying all right if you can trade uh, for Hoffman we'll give you a collection of draft picks and that's what happened Uh, the San Jose Sharks sent a bunch of scraps to Ottawa to get Hoffman and then uh, flipped him out for a much better return. So I think his time in uh, San Jose will be a little bit longer than just a few hours this time around. And um, 
from San Jose's perspective, I, I would expect that this is a piece they try to use to generate some offense in the early parts of the season, uh, maybe resurrect his career, like you said, and uh, flip him out again at the deadline. Yeah, and 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 um, you know that that's fine. Um, Rem Pitlick, uh, he um, we learned afterwards had asked for a trade out of Montreal. He wasn't uh, happy that he had spent half the season last year. Although you know it was it was uh, uh, deserved that that he spent some time in in Laval. He he wasn't contributing offensively, and of course. We know that he had been labeled as the worst uh, player defensively uh, the year prior. So um, he'll he'll move on to to Pittsburgh and and uh, good luck to him um, as well. The the Pitlicks in the Montreal organization are dwindling um, <laughs> down to one now. Um, so good luck to Rim. And I think uh, one final note that uh, I wanted to point out uh, in regard to this trade is uh, Jeff Petrie, I believe, has a 10-team no-trade list. Montreal, I guess, was not on that list, which is why he ended up back here. So he might be a little bit surprised. And uh, based on the fact that uh, the last time he was in Montreal, it seemed like he was wanting out uh, for quite some time. I don't expect that he'll be here for very, very long, right? So just to, to add to that, it's a 15-team um, no-trade uh, list that Petrie has. Uh, it's a little bit more restrictive, and um, it's a, a list that's reviewed every July 1st. Um, so he would have had to have recently updated it. Um, and um, important to say that, um, uh, you know, Montreal wasn't... Um, wasn't part of that so he was willing to come to Montreal I think it's been exaggerated a little bit about um, uh, the circumstances that led Jeff Petrie out of Montreal Um, did he ask for a trade out yeah I think that's pretty clear uh, and good on Kent Hughes for uh, accommodating him Um, but as far as as you know being disenchanted with Montreal I don't think it was any of that he uh, he and and his family and his wife Julie um, were um, concerned about the COVID regulations, the restrictions uh, on travel, uh, being separated from family. Um, you know, they have four boys, uh, and there were some health issues at the time. Um, Julie complained about uh, the health care available in Quebec, and and she's not alone in that. Um, and and wanted s- support and help from. Uh, the extended family to be able to look after uh, the other kids when, when she had to, um, you know, get medical attention. Um, so they wanted to be closer to their family. They moved back to uh, Michigan, and then that that meant that Jeff was in Montreal, um, and the rest of his family um, was was uh, you know apart, and 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 that made the situation difficult. So I think they enjoyed their time in Montreal. Um, and uh, um, and and was open and willing to come back. Um, just uh, another little uh, tidbit, and and I thought it was interesting that Kyle Dubas said uh, that that he did not reach out to uh, Petrie about his no trade list. That means that uh, Montreal was not on that list, and 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 he asked uh, uh, Petrie to waive. So. Um, I, I still think you know the Petries were were open to coming back. 
Um, the fact that that uh, the Penguins have, have with, withheld 25% of the salary, and now the um, Canadians can can take 50% on if they trade him. Um, you know that number has dropped from six and a quarter million dollars um, all the way down to two point something, uh, 2.35. And so uh, that makes uh, Jeff Petrie far more marketable. Who would be interested? Well, uh, Chris Johnston uh, has said that Dallas has been uh, very interested and, and maybe more interested uh, at this point. Um, yeah, he's 35 years old, has two years on his contract. So that's, that's uh, a little bit difficult. Um, I think, you know, as you said, we've got to keep an eye on, on Casey DeSmith. Um, what's going to happen there? His situation is going to be difficult. Uh, 1.8 million is probably pretty high for, um, for what he brings to the team. Um, and we remember in our goalie series, Marty Buron said the goaltenders um, uh, market uh, this summer is fully saturated. Um, we saw Connor Hellebuck maybe wanting to move. There was there was no opportunity to move him. We 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 saw some uh, goaltenders retire because they weren't able to to find contracts. So um, that's you know that's going to maybe a, a tougher. Um, uh, trade for uh, Kent Hughes to make. Um, I guess, uh, you know, why are we talking about trade so much uh, for Petrie and, and Casey DeSmith? Well, um, the fact that it's been a week now and there's been complete radio silence from the Canadians. <laughs> Kent Hughes hasn't spoken about uh, the trade. Um, the, the principals, uh, DeSmith um, and, and Petrie, haven't spoken. Um, I think that says that that gives a good ind- indication uh, that they may not be around, um, you know, very long. Um, but that's that's something that uh, we'll have to wait with bated breath to see what happens. And we also got to hear some of the reactions from the Montreal players about this trade. Uh, what happened with that, Rick? Well, there was a uh, pro-am event uh, uh, for Patrice Bergeron, and, and some of the Canadians, uh, Montreal Canadians, were there. Uh, Sam Montembeau was one, and we just said radio silence from the, the Canadians with respect to Jeff Petrie, respect to Can- uh, Casey DeSmith. Uh, but Kent Hughes, um, right after the trade was announced, reached out to Sam Montembeau's agent, um, see, Maud? Uh, maybe a little. Uh, and and uh, Sam says, uh, Kent was, uh, quotes, Kent was super nice. Almost as soon as the trade was over, he spoke with my agent telling uh, him not to worry. Uh, it's great that he took the time to do that. Um, and then he went on to say that, that he's met uh, Casey DeSmith before at a BioSteel event, and they know each other a little bit. Um so I thought that was interesting that um, Kent Hughes wanted to reassure Sam Montem, but we didn't hear the same thing from from Jake Allen. Um, and also at the, this event, uh, David Savard, Caden Gooley, um, and uh, David Savard knows how to answer these things. Uh, he said, you know, we're all in the same boat. We don't know if there's uh, something else that will happen from the exchange. You know, players are smart too. They know that there's a possibility of of uh, Jeff Petrie moving on. Um, and and Caden Gooley uh, said that uh, he was a little more more forthcoming. He said, I really didn't expect it. 
but I'm happy to see Jeff again. But who knows what will happen next? I try not to think about it. He is a member of the Montreal Canadiens at the moment. Um, fascinating, I thought, uh, reaction from the Canadiens uh, players. Um, and and uh, the only one who really spoke about this uh, at any length was uh, Nathan Lagarde, and, and he um, he was glad to be interviewed uh, by the French media, and and he was he was very excited, very excited to come to Montreal. Uh, if you don't know about this player, um, you want to listen to the Press Zone podcast that happened earlier this week, where Amy and and Patrick Williams uh, spent a lot of time uh, talking about the ramifications short story is um you know he came from junior with a great deal of promise uh he's not lived up to that promise um we know that the 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 pittsburgh penguins uh, are ranked 29th by the athletic in terms of prospect pools and uh nathan lagare is number 15 uh, in terms of penguins prospects so um i think the ship has sailed uh, on him um, just because skating isn't there, he processes the game slowly, um, and and um, the, the, he'll he'll be in Laval, probably a bottom six uh, a player like he was uh, in Wilkesbury. So, um, but though that's that's the reaction from um, no reaction necessarily from the principals, but reaction from the players, and uh, we thought we'd pass it on to you. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of a player that's uh, likely to be in the AHL, there were some transactions that happened in uh, Laval and Trois-Rivières. So now I think is a good time to get to our Habs Prospect Report. It's time for the Rocket Report. The Rocket Sports Media team is your premier source for information about the Laval Rocket, the AHL affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens, as well as Habs prospects playing in the CHL, NCAA, and leagues around the world. Bookmark THN.com slash Montreal to follow our comprehensive coverage of Canadians' prospects. So Joel Teasdale, who's played uh, three seasons here in Laval, has moved on. He signed a one-year, one-way AHL contract with the Iowa Wild. Uh, Joel Teasdale made his NHL debut at the end of the season uh, last year for the Canadians. Um um, I thought he had a good season in Laval, played 58 games, uh, collected 38 points. Um, but I, I think the writing was on the wall that, uh, you know, not necessarily an NHL prospect. Uh, foot speed really, really slow. He's, he's slow in the AHL, um, but he's effective when he parks in front of the net and he's big body, uh, screens the goaltender and, and goes after rebounds. So, um, I, he was waiting on an NHL contract that didn't transpire. Instead, uh, we'll go, uh, we'll stay in the AHL and, and play for the Iowa wild. And we're, um, we're, we're supportive of him and, and wish him well in Iowa. Uh, last week we reported that the Laval Rockets signed Nolan Yaremko to a one year contract. Uh, he played uh, 12 games with Laval last season, uh, but he spent the bulk of the season playing with Mount Royal University. I'm very excited. Um, this being my first pro contract, um, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to get a little bit of a, um, a look there at the end of last season with Laval, and I'm just happy everything worked out. I really enjoyed all the people there, the teammates, um, all the staff, the fans. It was yeah, very. I would just call it an electric place to play hockey, and I'm just super happy at the end of the day. 
it worked out where I can I can come back. Nolan, your Remco, very excited. Um, as you said, played a lot with U Sports. Got a chance to to play uh, with Lavelle and uh, talks about that electric atmosphere in Lavelle. We're going to be paying, um, you know, even more attention. I think fans uh, will be paying more attention to Lavelle. Um, I've been there. Our whole team's been there. You've been there. You know what it's like to play, uh, to to see a game at uh, Place Bell and. Uh, and uh, hearing uh, Nolan talk about that, that electric uh, feeling in, in the, the rink is, um, you know, you can't wait for it to start. Yeah, absolutely. He was an interesting player to watch in the brief stint that he did have. But uh, Rick, do you expect him to spend the majority of the time with Laval or do you think he'll end up spending some time in the ECHL as well? Yeah, he's on a, a two-way uh, deal. So um, I expect him to, to spend the most... Uh, you know, most of the time with Trois Rivieres, but who can predict these things? And particularly with so much movement in the AHL, um, it's nice to to have a player um, who's familiar with the atmosphere and uh, who's energized by it rather than being, uh, you know, afraid afraid of it. And uh, on the note of uh, Trois Rivieres, uh, the Trois Rivieres Lions signed forward Justin Ducharme. Uh, he spent his first pro season with the Lions, uh, then he went off to play with Idaho, and he's going to be back this season. So he's a very familiar face within that organization. Yeah, he's he's also, as you said, take, take, took a year off, played uh, elsewhere, but is excited to be back within the Montreal uh, organization, and, and you'll find him in Trois-Rivières for, for most of the season. Taking a look at the CHL, OHL Commissioner David Branch announced his intention to retire at the end of the 2023-24 season. Uh, he was serving as the commissioner of the OHL since September 15, 1979, and served as a president of the CHL from 1996 to 2019. This is, um, you know, this is this is a foundational piece. The OHL is the premier um, junior hockey league in the world. Uh, they, they produce top quality prospects year after year after year. Uh, I'd like to say that it was the Q. It, it, it's not, and, and we know that uh, the Q had, um, well, uh, uh, I think it was Stefan LaRue who said that it was a disastrous year in the draft uh, this past year with 12, I believe, um, members of the Q drafted um, and, you know, the, there's the Q, there's the WHL, but, but, uh, the OHL is the premier league and, and, you know, by, by and large, a lot of that comes from David Branch and his leadership over 45 years. Uh, this is his 45th year as commissioner. Um, and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, um, who, who can fill those, well, no one can fill those shoes, but, but who is tapped to fill those shoes, to try and fill those shoes. And, um, and if this will lead to, um, you know, a, a, you know, change in, in some of the rules that we're going to be talking about today. Possibly following suit, uh, with a rule change that came in the queue, uh, the QMJHL will officially ban fighting in the 2023-24 season. Uh, we'll get into this more in uh, the second segment when we talk about uh, fights within the NHL and hockey. Um, this was a pretty big inspiration for that topic, actually. And uh, 
We reported about this a little bit leading up to this ban. Uh, there were some things in the news floating around that this was likely going to happen. So it's uh, officially announced. And uh, Rick, there's a lot of different ways we can look at this. For sure. Uh, this is something we talked about in March. Uh, it was something uh, initiated uh, by the Quebec government um, and uh, d- demanded uh, the, the Minister of Sport basically said, um, you act or I will, um, to remove fighting from the game. Uh, so this was, uh, you know, this was signaled back in March. Uh, they said that it would have to go to uh, their Board of Governors uh, in June. It did. Uh, they that it was given approval, and since they've drafted uh, official rules, and it was um, it was announced in full along with the rules uh, this past week. Um, so, as you said, uh, we'll we'll get into this a little bit more in our second segment. Uh, looking at the NCAA, uh, Boston University announced that Jack Gordon will join their team. Uh, he sounds like someone that has a very familiar last name, doesn't he? He does. Uh, Jack Gorton, son of Jeff Gorton, um, and going to uh, BU, the BU Terriers. Um, uh, that's interesting all in itself, um, I would say. Um, we know uh, Lane Hudson is there. Uh, we know that um, I'm going to, I always get the wrong tuck. <laughs> but uh, but uh, um, one of the tucks is there. It's Luke Tuck, who is, who is there, of course. Um, and, uh, and Lane Hudson's brothers there as well. Uh, but really interesting is that Jack Hughes is also there and Jack Hughes moved from Northeastern where he had spent, um, two years, uh, to, uh, the BU Terriers a week ago. Um, not that Jack Hughes, not that, not that Jack Hughes, but Kent Hughes's son, Jack Hughes, uh, moved uh, to BU, and then a week later, uh, Jeff Gorton's son is there too. So uh, this is going to be a team, to, in addition to the Canadians' prospects being there, this is going to be a team for us to watch uh, this coming season. Should I start calling them the Boston University Canadians? Would that make people <laughs> angry? <laughs> but uh, yeah, interesting note, and uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on this uh, within our prospect report, I'm sure. And uh, last note here within our prospect report, uh, a few podcasts ago, we mentioned that the Canadians were on the NHL Network, uh, uh, NHL Network's best prospects list. Uh, they put together a top 50 and, uh, well, we're taking a look at the full list as that was released. We see D- David Reinbacker comes in at number 17, and we see Lane Hudson come in at number 26. But within that top 10, uh, the top t- top five uh, are Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, Matt Vemichkov, and Luke Hughes. So, Rick, uh, seeing how far back some of these Montreal Canadiens prospects are ranked, I imagine fans aren't too happy about that, eh? Yeah, I think there's going to be some discussion about this. Uh, the NHL Network is, um, you know, their results, you know, some Canadians may say, well, who cares? However, this was put together with the help of Sam Cosentino, who we know quite well and who's very good at this, works with Sportsnet, uh, has been on our podcast um, a number of times. Um, and when when uh, we played that clip from Sam a couple of weeks ago, episode 254, where he talked specifically about Ryan Backer and Lane Hudson, 
Uh, we knew the rankings, uh, 17 for Ryan Backer, as you said, and and, uh, Hunt, and uh, 26 for Hudson. But we didn't know who else was there. And now that the full list has been released this week, um, yeah, it's 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 tough for uh, for Canadians, especially seeing Meechkoff at number four. Um, you know, Logan Cooley from uh, last year's draft, who we're, we were pretty high on, is number six. Nemich and Juracek, we talked about, what if the Canadians took a defenseman instead of Slavkovsky that year? Uh, in the top ten at seven and eight, uh, Will Smith rounds out the top ten. Um, and and uh, Ryan Leonard, uh, Zach Benson in the top 20. We've talked about them a lot. Uh, and only those two prospects, Ryan Backer and Hudson. And, and we should say, Yuri Slavkovsky, not eligible given he spent uh, his season in uh, with Montreal in the NHL. So um, you had to have fewer than 25 NHL games uh, to qualify for this list as a, as a prospect. Um, th- this, this is going to add fuel to the folks who are upset about, uh, Mijkoff. Now it's time for, uh, Ryan Backer to, um, to prove all the doubters wrong. Absolutely. And you can find all our content about Canadians prospects at THN.com slash Montreal. Uh, we have a quote for this week. Uh, this one comes in from Captain Nick Suzuki, the birthday boy. And it relates again to what's coming up in our second segment as we talk about fights. Uh, Nick Suzuki talks about uh, fights and enforcers within the NHL. And I'll just add, uh, before we hear the clip, this clip is from March of this year. Uh, and this is, uh, he was asked uh, about uh, fighting in the queue and fighting in general in the NHL. Uh, back uh, in March when the queue was signaling that that was the direction they were moving on uh, to remove fighting from their game? Uh, I mean, I never fought, but um, obviously I had, I got hit a few times and guys uh, stood up for me. And uh, I think it it almost is a big part of the game. There's just that intimidation factor. You can't just be running around um, doing whatever you want. There's some consequences that happens uh, between the players. And I think, I don't know if it's a great thing for the game. I think they're, I don't know if it's a tryout or it it could come back, who knows? So, um, but I don't think it should be taken away, even though I'm not a a fighter, but I mean, I I like when guys step up for each other, shows uh, that you're taking care of your buddy and stuff like that. So uh, we'll see how the the queue does, but um, I think, Fighting is definitely a part of the game. Uh, interesting the way he finishes that. Fighting is definitely part of the game, and that's coming from a player. Um, he acknowledges uh, he hasn't fought, but he appreciates that he knows that if uh, someone takes liberties uh, with him or, or one of his, uh, his teammates, uh, that there's going to be, his word, consequences, uh, and that there's even, go- there's even a intimidation factor uh, that might uh, curb some of that bad behavior. Um, he, he's he's hoping that that this is uh, uh, a trial by the the queue. I don't think it is, um, but he said uh, it it should definitely um, not be taken away in the NHL. And and I think that's fascinating and and kind of sets the stage for our discussion in the second segment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hearing from a player that, like we said, uh, he's never been in a fight, getting his opinion on it and where his uh, his stance is, I appreciate hearing that as uh, we lead up to that uh, second segment. But before we get there, we do have some uh, hockey news and notes from around the league. 
Uh, Arizona Coyotes uh, are looking to purchase some land in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, Mesa, Arizona has a population of about half a million. Uh, they released a huge uh, press release about this, and it's basically saying that they're intending to purchase some land. I didn't see anything on the NHL.com site, uh, only on the Coyote site and, and on, yeah. on news sites, of course. So um, I now maybe that'll be different when, when they actually follow through and make the purchase. Uh, I thought that, was, that might, might be a bit telling. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Buffalo Sabres hired former Canadians defenseman uh, Zach Redmond as a development coach. Uh, Redmond is currently 35. He spent uh, the last three seasons of his hockey career playing in Germany. But uh, Rick, uh, I think this is somebody that you like quite a bit. I do. I do. Zach Redmond um, was was great for um, he only played, I think, 16 games for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, but he provided that veteran presence presence in uh, St. John's and was really good with the the young defensemen. Super smart um, and and uh, a teacher on the bench um, kind of thing. I, I had the opportunity many times to talk to him. Um, really a student of the game, knows the game inside and out, knows his position inside and out. And even better, he's able to communicate uh, really well to to uh, fellow players or younger players. I think he's a perfect ad for for Buffalo and and uh, uh, really nice. Congratulations to Zach on on the new position. Yeah, big congratulations to him on uh, finding a career in hockey after he retired from his professional career. And uh, really good on him. Excited to see what he's able to do with that young Buffalo defense corps. And he got to so, Buffalo um, when he was traded uh, from the Montreal Canadiens. He was traded uh, from the Canadians to Buffalo for Nicholas Delorier, uh, which maybe leads nicely into what we're going to be talking about in the second segment. Absolutely. That second segment, uh, as we said a few times, it's going to be all about fights in the NHL and enforcers. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, first, we'll take our first break on the Canadians Connection podcast. We'll hear from DraftKings and then we'll get to that big topic. So stay with us. This is the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. New customers download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, KS. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casinos at Charlestown Races. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg requisite for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms.
Welcome back to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. I'm Michael Spinella. You can find me on Twitter at the Spinella. With me in the studio is our president and founder of Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Rocket Sports. You can also follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Plus, check out the website CanadiansConnection.fm. Just a reminder here to make sure you subscribe to the Canadians Connection podcast in the player or on your favorite podcasting app. That way you never miss a single episode. And it's Enforcers Week at the Hockey News uh, with a focus on the best fighters of each of the 32 franchises in the NHL. And this comes the same week, very coincidentally, as uh, the QMJHL's ban on fighting in their league. So we're going to take a deep dive into fighting in the NHL. Does it still have a place? Is it on its way out? What's going on? Everything we can do. We came up with all the different angles. And Rick, I'm pretty excited to get a deep dive in this one. I think to set expectations, I don't know that this is a yes or no uh, question, is it? This is a really complicated um, issue. And, and um, I think um, there are, of course, there's going to be a, a fans out there uh, that says uh, who who maybe agree with Nick Suzuki and say fighting is absolutely part of uh, the the game and uh, you know we should just leave it alone. Um, there are are uh, probably fans who say um, you know it's archaic. It's it's um, you know it, it 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 shouldn't have any place in any sport. Um, uh, and and I think there's a lot of of fans in the middle. Um, and I think. I think it's more of a nuance, nuance view that that um, you know, and and maybe even views have changed over time, because uh, the game and and the impact of fighting has certainly uh, changed over time, and I I think we're going to try to attack it from all angles here. Yeah, absolutely. So to start things off, what is the state of fighting within the current game? Uh, looks like the number of fights are currently on their way down. Uh, if you look at the amount of fights per season between uh, 2010 and 2019, fights have dropped down about 65%. So that's pretty significant. But Rick, it seems like fighting still does happen within the game and it seems to have a huge impact on how things go along, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, if you look at uh, even even broader over 20 years, um, you know, the early 2000s, uh, we were seeing... Um, fights in in 0.5 uh, uh, you know an average uh, fight per game um, of 0.5 which is saying that uh, watch two games and you're going to see a fight um, now uh, as it's progressed uh, it's it's probably uh, you're going to have to watch six games uh, thereabouts uh, before you'll see a fight on average um, it's, it's really come down significantly, um, in, in the last two decades and, and you're not seeing, I, 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 and I think part of it, part of it is, you know, is, is there, um, an acceptance, um, I, I, as, as, um, the, the game broadens to, to non-traditional markets, uh, and, you know, Fans, uh, sports fans in general, not used to seeing fighting in a game. Uh, are, are, what's their tolerance level? And lots of people bring that up. But I think I think it really uh, went on on the decline uh, when once the salary cap was introduced, um, and the salary cap 
means that uh, you're going to have to be really efficient uh, with your dollars, especially uh, those players who play at the bottom of the lineup, maybe on the fourth line. And that's where you'd find the one-dimensional fighters, enforcers in the past. Um, and teams, I don't know, that, 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 that serial fighter position, that one-dimensional fighter who doesn't contribute in any other way, who plays five minutes uh, and is just there mostly on the bench uh, as an intimidation factor in the salary cap era, that, that just doesn't exist anymore uh, for the most part. So I think, um, you know, it, it, that might not have been predicted, uh, but the salary cap has had a, uh, a real impact on reducing fighting in the NHL. Yeah, and that's a very interesting point that you bring up as well. Although I will say it does seem like teams still have some value in bringing in players that can fight. I think the both Kachuk brothers in this instance are kind of unicorns in the fact that they can put up a ton of points and they can stick up for themselves and be very physical and fight. I don't think there's a ton of that happening uh, between them and, uh, and I guess outside of that, I guess Tom Wilson's the only other name that comes to mind. But you're still seeing a Ryan Reeves get a three-year contract with Toronto. And Ryan Reeves maybe at one point was more of a useful player, but at this point, I, I don't know that he brings a whole lot outside of his intimidation factor, no? Yeah, he has to be really, really good at that role, uh, that intimidation <laughs> role, uh, to to stick. Uh, he can play hockey, um, and and you look, um, you know, don't look uh, too much farther than than the Montreal Canadiens and uh, the resident tough guys, um, you know, Arbor Jacki, Michael Pozzetta. Um Michael Pozzetta, he has to. He can skate. He can forecheck. Uh, he, he's, uh, you know, can be used on, on the penalty kill. Uh, he has to do more than just fight and Arbor uh, his toughness is appreciated by his teammates for sure. Um, but he also has to be able to play defense. And, and, uh, I think we're, we're, we're seeing a move to that where a player has to contribute, uh, in other ways, um, rather than fighting, and 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 yes, there's going to be some holdovers, uh, but I think those are slowly being phased out. Absolutely. So one of the things that we wanted to do here is look at uh, the types of fights and the reasons why certain fights do happen within the NHL. And to start a momentum shift, it seems at least uh, from the eye test that whenever a fight happens you can see a drastic change in the momentum. Sometimes, you know, you see that's very quickly followed by a goal uh, for the team that was a little bit behind. Uh, you see when you're watching any NHL game and there's a fight with one team very far in the lead, you start to hear the commentators talk, okay, well, maybe it wasn't so smart of the guy on the winning team to get into a fight because now all of a sudden the team that was losing, it looks like uh, they're running around the ice and having their way now. But uh, looking at some stats, it does seem like uh, 76% of the time, uh, a lot of uh, fights are followed by a goal within the next uh, few minutes. That being said, that uh, stat has been disputed quite a bit in saying that, well, there's a lot of other things that can contribute to momentum. Things like just a big hit, a penalty kill, a power play, a timeout, even just a change of the period. So, Rick, uh, I'll get you to weigh in your thoughts on how uh, fighting impacts momentum. Yeah, th this one's really tough um, to to establish a, a direct correlation um, because it's in your mind, 
if um, if there's a fight and and um, you know sh- a short time later uh, there's a goal, um, that that's that's confirmation bias, um, and and you're going to remember that if if a goal doesn't happen. You're going to forget about it. You're not. You're yeah. not going to balance the two and say, "Well, I remember that." No, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. It's going to be in your. It's going to be reinforced in your mind, especially if you have that view that that fighting is, uh, you know, helps with with momentum. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know where to. It it it, it seems, uh, as you said, the eye test. It seems uh, to confirm itself, but but I don't. I don't think we can use that as as necessary uh, a reason to to keep fighting cuz yeah as you said the game is complicated the game is is fast the game is always changing uh so it's difficult to um to 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 filter for all of the other um factors that may have happened yeah not quite as simple as when you boot up uh, NHL on the PS5 and you see immediately <laughs> after a fight all your team gains energy uh, fortunately it's not uh, quite as simple and I don't think that there's really a stat that you can pull up to prove or disprove anything here so that's why along the way we will reiterate that I don't think that uh, it's a clear yes or no fighting good fighting bad uh, type uh, argument that we're having we're just gonna have to present what we have based on eye test and uh, statistics. Uh, another reason why fighting seems to happen, and this is actually kind of divvied up into three di- different points here, but they're all kind of along the same lines. So standing up for a teammate, protecting a star player, or deterring for violence. So I think that, again, with the eye test, you see quite often it happens where you you know, say a Tom Wilson or whatnot is uh, running around on the ice, having his lay of the, the land, maybe taking some liberties with some star players. Someone on your team goes and steps up, uh, gets into the fight, takes uh, Tom Wilson out of the game. Does that really help? So when Tom Wilson comes back, did that fight really deter him from going around and continuing to have his lay of the land? Uh, did standing up for your teammate really end up changing what this player will do going forward that's another one where i think it's very hard to say uh i was reading an article on forbes and they're pretty much saying that well there doesn't really seem to be any real evidence of fighting or the threat of fighting has deterred any violent play in the nhl uh, despite what other people might think uh rick i'll get you to start weighing on this as weighing in on this as well. Yeah, I saw that uh, that Far- Forbes article. And, and Gary Bettman has come out and said, uh, the fact that we have fighting in our game reduces violence. Um, so the Forbes people said, all right, let's look at only the games where uh, there's been a fight. And are there fewer penalties on average in that game? And and no, that, you know, that, you know, once there's a fight, yeah, there's usually... Um, scuffles and there's some some uh, uh roughing penalties and there's there's um you know th- there's there's not necessarily fewer penalties but is there is there less violence and is there there less uh attacks on vicious attacks on star players um that's that's what i think um you know people like Gary Bettman are getting at that that's the kind of violence that's reduced by having the intimidation factor. And the fact that the Forbes folks didn't look at games where no fights happen, um, you know, that could be because there was uh, a fighter or two in, in the lineup. Um, again, it's, it's kind of, you know, 
trying to uh, to to lead themselves uh, to a conclusion that agrees with their hypothesis. And and mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that it's uh, as simple as that. Again, um, these these folks who like Forbes who who try to understand hockey when they don't have an understand a basic understanding of the game. Um, and make conclusions is I, I I think it's more complicated than that. So the question that I want to ask here is okay. So you're the Montreal Canadiens. You have a game against Toronto. You know Ryan Reeves is playing. You want to dress Michael Pozzetta in Arbor Jacki, right? Just for that intimidation factor and the threat of a fight coming up. I I don't think that it's really any other question. Along the way, I don't see a scenario in which you don't dress either of those players when you know you're coming up against a Ryan Reeves, right? Right, and and we saw when when Reeves uh, was with the Rangers and Pizzetta went out was pestering him the whole game, and after the after the game, Reeves was quoted as saying, "I don't even know who this guy is. Who is he? Why is he? Why is he on me? I don't know. I don't want to fight him. You're a nobody." Um, but the fact that that uh, Michael Pizzetta went was willing to engage, um, and 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 yeah, he he didn't do well. He got ragged out and dulled, but he took Ryan Reeves off the ice for five minutes, um, at the at the very least. Um, you know, sent a signal that uh, he wasn't going to be able to ride roughshod over over uh, the Canadians, and took him off the ice. Um, m- maybe there's some value in that. Yeah, and that's actually a good point and something I wanted to get at a little bit too is that when you take a fighting penalty, you're getting a guy off the ice for at least five minutes. Sometimes there's a misconduct in there as well, so you're getting a guy off for, say, 15 minutes. So let's say, uh, let's go back to this Tom Wilson example that I keep going back to. He's taking some liberties. Okay, so one of Jack Guy or Pizzetta steps up, they fight, and let's say, you know, there's five minutes left in the second okay, there's a potential now that you're not seeing Tom Wilson again until there's 10 minutes left in the third period. So I think fighting can be kind of strategic in that way, no? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, and and it's, it's um, yeah, I, someone is going to say, well, um, you know, if fighting was banned, then Reeves wouldn't, wouldn't be in the game um, and and you you wouldn't have to worry about it. But there are players who can play uh, who are mean and vicious and, and um, you know, could have a, an impact on your star players and um, they need to be dealt with. Absolutely. And sometimes maybe it's not necessarily uh, the fight that's causing an issue. It's, you know, them going after, say, a Cole Caulfield, laying out maybe some questionable hits that aren't getting called, maybe uh, scrumming a little bit after the whistle, uh, targeting a smaller guy like a Cole Caulfield. I think the threat of fighting or an actual fight coming from this, at times, at least, again, back to my eye test, it seems like a lot of those players just kind of, you know, they'll go into the background a little bit after they know that there's that threat there. So I think, uh, what are your thoughts on the deterrent factor anyway? Yeah, um, again, you know, the other side of the coin is, well, if fighting uh, wasn't in the game, uh, then the those kind of, of uh, um, attacks on, on um, you know, the scoring players, uh, the top talent, the skilled players, uh, will will be uh, handled by the referees, and I think we've seen, um, and and even even the off ice officials 
both the on-ice and off-ice officials haven't handled things um, responsibly or, or, or to a, 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 a degree that is going to appease the fans because, um, you know, we've seen suspensions inadequate, we've seen penalties inadequate, um, and um, there's, there's going to be a strong pushback from fans that say, um, you know, the guys on the ice have to, have to settle this. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And uh, kind of the last point there in uh, standing up for your teammates. So you see someone gets injured uh, by one of the other team's tough guys. Immediately a fight breaks out. That I think that also kind of feels good for the player that got hurt and some of the other guys on the bench that, you know what, we have a big, tough instigator on our team that's willing to stand up for us when, uh, you know what, the other teams may be having their lay of the land too much. I think that's a little bit of extra confidence that makes uh, some of these smaller players feel a little bit taller, no? Well, don't take our word for it. Listen to Nick, <laughs> Nick Suzuki. Uh, he couldn't have been clearer of how he feels about having that kind of player in the lineup protecting him. Absolutely. So the next type of fight that uh, we seem to see quite often is a fight after a big clean hit. This is something that I know has come up in uh, the general manager meetings. I don't know that it's really led anywhere, but Rick, uh, what can you tell us about uh, the fighting after a clean hit? Well, I think me personally, if, if um, the NHL wants to crack down somewhere, uh, here's a great area. And, and, I, and you're right, they've talked about it at the GM meetings uh, not much has come out of it. I think they're afraid uh, to make a judgment on on what's clean and what's not and, and all of that. But, you know, uh, the, the, the officials on the ice should know um, that kind of situation. It's pretty obvious. And, and um, Alex Romanoff um, was a prime example. Uh, he'd deliver a thunderous clean hit. Um, and then be forced to fight afterwards, uh, which is silly. That that's that's um, you want to keep the physicality in the game. Uh, so 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 don't penalize the guys who can play that way. Um, if you want to reduce the fighting, you know, go after uh, players who who initiate um, a, a fight after a clean hit. And and you know, yes, there's an instigator rule, but it's. It's very rarely uh, used uh, as as I as as I've seen. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. And uh, the instigator penalty, I think it's something that could be useful. But again, even when it does happen, it seems like it never really ends up being used correctly, and it yeah. can be quite in inconsistent. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, the final type of fight is uh, the stage fight, the fights that are to do with the code. And I think you and I kind of agree that this is our least favorite kind of fight. Uh, the stage one seems to happen between two tough guys, two enforcers. It's uh, talked about previously. Sometimes you can even see the clips of, uh, you know, two tough guys talking during the warm-up. You know, okay, when are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And then uh, there you go, opening face-off. It happens right away. We were all expecting it. And then there's this code, and I'm not going to lie, calling it the code to me sounds a little bit cheesy. But uh, Rick, I'll get you to start weighing in on this one too. Fortunately, I'm sorry. Fortunately, this is something that um, has mostly disappeared from the game. 
Uh, it was very common uh, in, say, the late 2000s. Well, for a long time, up until maybe the late 2000s. And um, I think of, of um, when I think of a staged fight, uh, the picture in my mind is George LaRock. And, and George LaRock was... Uh, when he was with Edmonton, was a, he was a fierce fighter and 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 an enforcer to be f- uh, feared, um, and I think it was the Hockey News uh, back in 2003 that labeled him uh, the best fighter in the league. Um, when he came to the Montreal Canadiens, uh, all of that disappeared, uh, and we talked about one of the and, and Nick Suzuki talked about. Uh, one of the important reasons to have uh, that kind of guy in your lineup is to 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 step in and stand up for a teammate. Unfortunately, uh, George Larocq, by the time his career was winding down, um, he didn't he didn't do any of that. He he never stepped in for a for a teammate uh, because George had this. Co- by the time he got to the Canadians, George had this code, um, and his quote from um, after a game. Uh, where um, players were getting absolutely um, demolished on the ice. Um, And uh, I remember uh, it was the Arizona Coyotes, and um, it was Kurt Sauer, who was a big guy, just absolutely uh, crushed um, Andre Kostitsin. It wasn't legal. It wasn't a a good hit. It was uh, a a double forearm smash to to the uh, Kostitsin to the head of Kostitsin. Um And you can say, well, I didn't like Kostitsin anyway, but, but that's not the point here. This was a really dirty hit, um, awful hit. Kostitsin went on to miss a couple of games uh, after that. Um, and, and George Rock's there on the bench. Kurt Sauer was enormous, um, 6'4", and, um And George said, well, uh, George was asked after the game, why didn't you get into it? Uh, it's my code. The code is from heavyweight to heavyweight, not from lightweight to whatever sour is to heavyweight. Um, he's not forced to go with a guy uh, like me. You expect you um, respect a guy who backs up his action, actions. If something like that happens, but at the same time, you can't blame a guy if he doesn't want to answer the bell to me. So what happened in that game? It was Tom Kostopoulos and and people. <laughs> The heart of Tom Kostopoulos, if it could have been inserted in George Larocque, um, he, 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 he was the one who stepped in, and he got absolutely pummeled because um, he was a small guy, but he had heart. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, George was only interested in that point at these stage fights. You tap the guy on the shoulder, you talk to him during a, a face-off, as you said, and you you toss a few, you go through the motions, you pat the guy on uh, uh, in the pants, and you both go to the the penalty box, and you've done your job for the game. Well, that is garbage to me. To, to me. Uh, that that has to be out of the game. And fortunately, because I think of the salary cap, uh, those one dimensional uh, fighters who would sit on the bench and and just get out there for the stage fights are mostly gone. But um, and, and, and absolutely good riddance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hearing that is, it is pretty unfortunate uh, because when a play like what happens to Gustafson happens, I think it's expected that somebody, no matter what, has to step up and answer the bell. I think if a play like that happens and there's no fight, you, 
everyone's talking, okay, well, where's the fight? And that's kind of why everyone turns to George LaRock and thinks, okay, well, why isn't this happening, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, remember when um, Sam Montembeau got run and, and Jeff Petrie was standing there uh, looking around. Jeff Petrie's not a fighter, but he's not a small player either. Um, you expect somebody to respond when when one of your players is attacked. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think moving along in our topic here, the next thing we wanted to get into, uh, penalties, misconducts, uh, suspensions, just the rules that surround fighting within the NHL. And I think to start uh, giving a little bit of uh, an overview of what the rule is, is a hockey fight occurs if a player gets in a, in a dispute during the hockey game. They are allowed to drop their gloves and fight. When this occurs, uh, the gameplay will be stopped by a whistle by the referees. Uh, the fight is allowed to go until the player hits the ice or the referee deems it's time to stop. Um, an instigator will be given uh, to the player who throws the first punch or uses verbal language to provoke another player or the first player to drop the gloves. Uh, again, we've talked about how this can be sometimes a little bit inconsistent. Uh, fighting majors, uh, five minutes. Uh, sometimes you will be given a 10-minute misconduct on top of that. And uh, Rick, uh, what else can you do to add to the rules that surround hockey and uh, fighting? Yeah, they've they've played, they've tweaked the rules a little bit. There's there's rules about fights in the last five minutes of the game, and and um, to 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 um, curb all all of that. Um, you know, there's 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 rules about more recently about uh, helmets. Um, uh, there's rules about, you know, keeping your sweater on and elbow pads and tie on tie downs and all that sort of thing. Um, the NHL has basically, like I said, tweaked the rules, um, and, and they haven't changed all that much in any substantive way, uh, to, to affect, uh, the, the drop that we've seen, in my opinion, they haven't, they haven't, uh, really affected the drop, the significant drop that we've seen in fighting. Yeah, Absolutely. So who are the best players that uh, we consider fighters on the Canadians and around the NHL? I think we've brought up their names a couple times already, but uh, on the Canadians, I think right now you start to think of Arbor Jacquei and Michael Pizzetta as the two guys who would be the enforcers, the guys that will answer the bell. And then around the league, you have your Nick DeLauriers, who we talked about, uh, Tom Wilson, Ryan Reeves. I think both of the Kachucks kind of end up in that category as well. Uh, looking at the Atlantic Division, there are a lot of heavyweights. Uh, like I said, Reeves in Toronto, uh, Boko Amama, Zach McEwen in Ottawa, uh, Pizzetta, Jacai in Montreal, uh, Kachuk, and many others on the Florida Panthers, uh, Janot and Bogosian in Tampa, along with a few others as well. And I don't think the list just ends there, but uh, certainly seems like uh, we still have a lot of those players that uh, are quite large and can answer the bell when it comes to a fight. Uh, it, it surprised me a little when, when looking into this uh, issue um, as part of uh, the NHL, uh, uh, the Enforcers Week with the Hockey News, uh, that the Canadians, uh, they've really held their own in, in this uh, category. Uh, they were seventh in the league uh, in 2022-23 with 29 fighting majors and uh, 18 of those, uh, you mentioned them, Arbor Jacki and Michael Bazetta had nine each, uh, and that re- that places both of those players um, in the top ten uh, in fighters uh, for in terms of frequency anyway 
for the National Hockey League last year. So um, that's a bit of a surprise, I think, uh, that the Canadians have uh, that much uh, that much of a tough reputation. As you said, uh, Nicholas Delorier, former Canadian, now with Philly, that kind of uh, fits their um, their fan base uh, to have a, a tough guy leading the league in terms of 14 fights last year. Absolutely. And uh, on the Canadians in general, uh, I guess going back as they have had a pretty long history, are there any uh, favorite fighters that you had in mind? Uh, not to get too off topic, but. No, and I think that um, I'll encourage uh, folks to, to head to THN.com uh, slash Montreal uh, to, to look at the, um, I've, I've ranked the top five fighters of all time um, with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty long, uh, list that I had to choose from. Uh, the Canadians have had some pretty tough players in, in their lineup, not necessarily enforcers. And that was the focus of, of, uh, the hockey news this week. But, uh, you think of players who weren't necessarily enforcers like, um, you know, a Sheldon Surrey, um, um, a Terry Harper, uh, Larry Robinson, Peter Mahovlich, who could really take care of themselves and their teammates, Pierre Bouchard, Mario Tremblay, uh, Doug Riseborough, Mario uh, um, Turner Stevenson, uh, Brendan Gallagher. Um, you know, these are tough players um, who we know that, that uh, you know, other teams can't take liberties when they're in the ice be- on the ice because they're going to get involved. Um, and uh, Maurice Richard, uh, the Rocket, as well, was a pretty tough customer. So um, I'll encourage you to, uh, to head to uh, the Hockey News to, uh, to take a look at, at uh, how the, uh, the Canadians all-time, uh, the top five hi- fighters, the top five enforcers, uh, for uh, and and we want to hear from you. Um, you agree? You you disagree? We still want to hear from you. Um, you can text us at five eight five three rocket. Absolutely, and it is a great read. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. But uh, at this point in the conversation, I do think it's time to look at things maybe from the other side, the perhaps a little bit of a darker side, and that's when it comes to repetitive head injuries and its effect with the CTE. Now, Gary Bettman has come out a number of times saying that uh, he doesn't believe that there's any link between fighting and uh, CTE, but a lot of studies are coming out saying that there is a very direct link. And uh, Rick, uh, this is going to be, I think, the more difficult end of the conversation. I know that we're both not uh, experts on this particularly, but uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, we talked about this uh, a couple months back on on the show about uh, the established link. And the research, I think, is pretty uh, clear that repetitive head trauma leads to uh, CTE. It's something that other leagues, particularly the National uh, Football League, has has taken a lead role in. Um, Gary Bettman has has denied um, that, uh, that there's any link. Um, and, um, he's in fact said that, uh, um, only 2% of fights result in a, a concussion. Now we don't have any, uh, the NHL doesn't provide that data, uh, to know whether that's true or not true. Uh, and maybe, uh, Gary's, uh, you know, kind of in a legal bubble that, that, uh, uh, he's not willing to admit liability at this point. Uh, but this is a, a serious issue. 
Um, it's a serious issue uh, for NHL players, and it's a serious issue for um, you know younger players in that. And, and so there's there's certainly some understanding uh, that um, that you want to to limit uh, the exposure to um, your 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 players um, your 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 product uh, from from being exposed to that. Yeah, and it is a contact sport. It is very physical. A lot of the hits are, like, although they are entertaining, you do see players get injured. And uh, obviously, we've talked about fighting's role within the game, but I think you can't talk too much about that without considering the effects that it does have long-term. So that's why we want to make sure that uh, we brought that up uh, within our discussion, too. That's right. So fighting bans, uh, we did see that the Q announced that they're going to, at the very least, announce different penalties for fights. Um, they are calling it the fighting ban, but uh, looking at the rules here, uh, it seems that uh, those engaged in the fight will be ejected from the game. Uh, the instigator or whoever is deemed to be the instigator will receive a one-game suspension in addition to a game misconduct, um, an automatic game suspension will be imposed starting with the, the player's second fight of the season. So I don't know that uh, it's fair to really call it a fighting ban as there does seem to be some rules around fighting, but perhaps this will deter fights and we'll start to see less of them. I think whether or not this is a, an actual fighting ban being imposed by the Q will be determined on how the officials react when a fight breaks out. Will they immediately step in to break it up, or are they going to stand back like they normally do, let the fight concur, and then just hand out a stiffer penalty? Yeah, this is going to... Well, we'll have to see how this plays out. The language um, that the Q has used is really strong. Um, the Q, the QMJHL is planning to have a rule in place. This is a spokesperson... Um, the Q spokesperson saying this is planning to have a rule in place that will ban fighting, making it black and white. That is no longer part of our game. That couldn't be spelled out more clearly. Whether the the penalties will lead to that or not is, is the question. And when asked for the reason, uh, the Q says in order to prevent physical and psychological violence, that could lead to minor or serious injuries or in extreme circumstances, death. The Q is responsible for establishing intervention rules when a fight occurs. Uh, when a fight occurs, um, that's really, really strong language to know where uh, the league is coming from, uh, where the government in Quebec is coming from, uh, and we'll, as you said, we'll just have to see how that plays out, how it will be. Uh, implemented and whether these uh, rules will have the full effect that's intended. Yeah, and that's part of why when this started being discussed about, I mentioned that I was kind of interested to see how it would get played out and how this would end up affecting the game. Are we going to start seeing situations where there's a big hit and then that's followed by nothing? Are we going to start to see uh, some bigger hits start to be uh, penalized as well or how they're going to go about that? Because uh, as we talked about throughout this uh, segment, uh, it, fighting really has its roots within the game. So it is hard to imagine, especially if you spend your whole life watching the NHL, uh, how hockey would go without those fights happening. So again, we're going to have to keep an eye on this to see how this plays out and uh, whether or not it ends up being very effective. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's something that 
you know, folks compare um, the NHL to Europe and say, listen, there's no fighting in Europe. But but again, that's part of the culture of their game. Um, there wasn't fighting, so they didn't have to uh, implement rules to take it out of the game. Uh, and that would be the case um, if if those rules were applied to, to the NHL. Um, it, it is... Um, I, I think what's happening, the, the, the natural, um, it, it's naturally kind of disappearing from the game or being far less relevant. Um, and to, to, uh, to, to, to attach that to something uh, that you thought was kind of irrelevant, like the salary cap, is, is fascinating to me. And, and uh, that shows that, you know, the, the side effects, uh, the, 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 um, what you think are unassociated effects uh, um, of a rule change, of a major rule change, um, you know, you, you have to think of all of the implications. Um, uh, you know, are, is, is the fan base changing? Um, you know, are there, there fans who, who uh, will miss the entertainment value of, of fighting in, in the NHL? For sure. Um, has there been a negative effect on on viewership because there's fighting in the game? May, maybe with with um, you know some of the uh, newer fans um, who are being exposed in the newer markets. Um, I think one of the one of the things that's um, that's referenced uh, is a study that came out uh, a year ago uh, at this time um, out of Columbia University. Um, and it, it said that uh, fighting in the league, the removal of fighting in the league increases attendance. Um, and that was their conclusion. Um, and um, when you read what they said, um, and they talk about fighting being, being extremely rare in Europe and, and, um, and with the influx of more players from Europe, uh, that that makes... Um, you know, that's maybe an effect of, of uh, reducing fighting in the game. And that, that's, that's, uh, that's possible. That's logical. Uh, but they talk about um, looking at the figures. Uh, we mentioned them earlier about uh, the fights per game, the fight per game average being way down in the last 20 years. And then looking at the NHL, uh, the NHL's attendance going way up in the last 20 years and saying, see, See, the reduction of fighting means there's more fan. That's just that's. I'm sorry. That's just silly. That's somebody that um, isn't being serious. I mean, these are these are very. This is a very serious university and researchers, uh, but they obviously don't know anything about hockey and weren't willing to consider, you know, the addition of expansion, the the TV contract, all the things that contribute to um, hockey growing in attendance and, and, uh, and trying to tie that to the removal of, of fighting, I think is just silly. Yeah, absolutely. And fighting from an entertainment standpoint, I don't know that there's really anyone can, that can watch a hockey fight and not tell me that it's entertaining. Like it, it is very entertaining. One of my most fond memories of watching hockey when I was a child was, and we had him on the podcast recently, but the Ray Emery versus Barney Brown fight <laughs> bench brawl that ends with the goalie fight. And then Emery going on to fight another guy immediately after that, that's always stuck with me. And I don't, I think this is one of those occasions where I don't think anyone involved necessarily ended up being injured or faced any, you know, further impact beyond that uh, one game. But you know what, uh, there are also other things to consider here and that, uh, 
you know, we, we talked about the head injuries causing some problems. And honestly, at the end of the day, uh, I, even though I find something entertaining, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing. And just because maybe someone else doesn't find it entertaining, that doesn't mean it's, you know, a, a bad thing or however that goes. Uh, there are just so many different angles to this. And uh, quite frankly, uh, as we keep saying, this isn't bl- a black or white situation. It's uh, it's within the culture. It's, it's here. And uh, we're going to have to wait and see how things play out uh, going forward. But we definitely want to hear from you uh, on this. We know there's strong feelings on both sides. Uh, we know, um, you know, some fans have have uh, their their opinion has changed over the years, um, especially with the the medical evidence that's coming out. And and uh, we just, um, I I think, as you said, complicated issue. This is something that um, that that it doesn't require a simple answer. And what we're trying to do here is present all the different factors uh, that have to be considered. And, and it makes it uh, a very difficult issue to deal with um, and something that um, is not going to just completely disappear uh, by this, the by a rule, by a, the snap of a finger. Absolutely. So we want to turn it over to our listeners. And uh, as we head off into our final segment, I'll leave you with these questions. Our Canadian Connection question of the week. Do you support a ban on fighting in junior hockey? And who was the best fighter you ever saw? We want to make sure we hear from you. And on that note, I think it's a good time to take our final break here. Uh, Stay with us. This is the Canadian's Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. It's summertime and it means that, of course, it's music listening time, whether you are chilling at the beach or at the lake or at the cottage, even in your backyard, out for a walk or a jog or driving and cruising with the windows down or the top down if you're lucky enough to have a convertible. It is summer music season. What have you got uh, playing on your favorite summer playlist right now? I've been listening to a lot of classic rock, a lot of 70s and 80s, you know, Know, even if you're not going on vacation, summer is all about that vacation state of mind. And so whether you want to listen to those favorite tunes on repeat or you just need to retreat inside your own head for a little bit, uh, it's so much fun to create your own summer soundtrack. And I like to do that by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. There's just so much going on all summer. And sometimes you need some upbeat music to just pump you up before you uh, go out and and hit the beach with some friends or head over to a family barbecue. Or maybe you want to relax a little bit with some calmer music, guided meditation. You know, no matter what it is, if you're taking your earbuds on the go with you, maybe to the gym like I said, out for a jog or a walk, or maybe you're just relaxing at home and you want some great tunes. I love to listen to music while I'm in the kitchen working, uh, whether I'm cleaning or whether I'm cooking, baking, that kind of thing. So let me tell you, having your Raycon wireless earbuds is a great way to do that. Uh, They are the best way to listen to your music. You can use the earbud tap functions to toggle between three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation and awareness mode, uh, which allows some environmental sounds in so that you can still kind of hear what's going on around you if you want. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, including eight hours of playtime, so you can really listen to what you want, when you want, for a really long time. Uh, They come with custom gel tips for the most comfortable in-ear fit. That's a big one for me. 
in-ear uh, earbuds and, and gel tips are, are typically difficult to fit inside my ear so that they fit and stay in my ear have not had an issue with my Raycons at all. And they start at just half the price of other premium audio brands but they sound just as good, if not better. Uh, Raycons come with a 30-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. So you can create your own soundtrack with Raycon. And right now, Canadians Connection listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com THPN. Really, this is an incentive just for listeners of the Canadians Connection. We want you to take advantage of this offer. So again, that's buyraycon.com THPN to save 15% on Raycons buyraycon.com slash THPN. Welcome back to episode 256 of the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. You can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and check out the website canadiansconnection.com. Also, feel free to text us anytime via the Rocket Sports text line, 5853ROCKET. That's 5853ROCKET. And Rick, that was a very interesting discussion that we just had in that second segment. Lots of different angles to consider. And uh, as you said, it's Enforcer Week at uh, THN right now. And uh, there's plenty of content in regard to that happening. Yeah, head to uh, THN.com slash Montreal. You can see uh, the article about the Montreal Canadiens and the best fighters to ever uh, put on the, the CH jersey. Um, and you can navigate from there if you're interested in another team uh, and and their list of fighters. Um, and uh, again, um, we, 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 we had a very full discussion. Uh, interestingly enough, we had a pretty full discussion before the show even started about this whole issue. Uh, and we could we could talk about it even more. I, I know that we're going to hear some uh, opinions from, um, uh, all of our listeners and, and send us a, a text five, eight, five, three rockets, send us a, an e- email. Hello at rocketsportsmedia.com uh, or reach out to us on social media. We really want to hear from you on this. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you can find all of our content at thn.com slash Montreal throughout this busy off season. You're also going to want to head over to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find that just by searching at all Habs. And on there, uh, weekly, you will find the Habs Hockey Report show hosted by Amy Johnson. The latest episode entitled, Is Jeff Petrie Really Back? Will a Habs Goaltender Get Traded? Uh, You'll want to tune into that to hear everything that she has to say about it. Amy is a great analyst and she provides all sorts of interesting topics. And engage in the conversation to leave a comment, uh, let her know what you think. Leave a like as well if you like what you saw and hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a single episode. Because you're also going to find the Canadians Connection podcast on YouTube right there as well. Uh, I believe we've been putting that one out on Tuesday. Uh, You'll see some amazing graphics put together by Amy Johnson along with the full episode. So if you like what you saw here today uh, on this uh, podcast, head over to YouTube. uh, Give it another listen. And uh, if you just prefer listening to things on YouTube, that's another great way to find us. Also, make sure you subscribe to both of the Rocket Sports podcasts on your favorite podcasting app. First and foremost, The Press Zone that comes out every single Tuesday. You can find all The Press Zone episodes at thepresszone.fm, hosted by Amy Johnson and Patrick Williams. Sometimes you get Rick Stevens in there as well. 
that's going to be your inside source for everything AHL, Laval Rocket, Haps Prospects, and uh, you're going to want to find every single episode. If you miss some throughout the offseason, go back, take a listen. I highly recommend it and stay up to date with everything there. And this podcast, The Canadian's Connection, you can find all of our episodes at canadiansconnection.fm. If you missed any in the offseason, go back and check it out. We have some awesome interviews, uh, one including uh, Marty Biron. We did a whole thing on goaltenders throughout this summer. So make sure uh, you go back, listen to all of our episodes, and uh, continue to listen to us because we're going to be here every single Saturday throughout this offseason. We don't take a break here at the Canadians Connection. Also, uh, for those who might be interested, uh, Rocket Sports is recruiting. Uh, so if you're interested in joining the Rocket Sports team, Rick, what's the best way to do so? Well, the best way is to reach out to us on social media. We've already had um, uh, some of our listeners do just that. Reach out to Rocket Sports, at Rocket Sports, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, on Instagram. Uh, or, if you prefer, uh, head to HabsHockeyReport.com, HabsHockeyReport.com, and, and search there for the Join Our Team tab. Uh, we have a little questionnaire that uh, will give us some information about you, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk to you about uh, the kinds of, of things we're looking for people to do and, and, uh, and talk about your skills um, and we have a, 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 a wonderful team, uh, some of whom have been with uh, me for a very long time. Uh, last week, we, uh, Michael, you talked to uh, Brian, who manages our, our fantasy sports leagues, and he said he'd been with us uh, for 13 years. Uh, this week, um, you sat down with uh, Mike Raschel uh, to talk about how he became a Habs fan, um, some of his memorabilia and uh, why he joined the Rocket Sports team. Thanks, guys. And uh, I would like to welcome uh, Rocket Sports contributor Mike Raschel to the show. Mike, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, nice to have another Mike in the studio with me. Uh, keeps me a little bit of company. <laughs> but uh, today, uh, what we're going to do, it's uh, just a little get-to-know-you segment. Uh, get to know all of the lovely people behind Rocket Sports Media and uh, my first question for you is, uh, how did you join Rocket Sports, and uh, what exactly is it that you do for your contributions? Um, how did I join? Uh, Rick reached. Uh, Rick actually reached out to me. I won a uh, draft contest that they held in 2019 for the uh, Vancouver draft. So me and uh, me and my good friend Shane went out for that and uh, met a lot of the team at the time, including uh, Rick and Amy. And uh, yeah, we had a great time a great weekend out there and really got to know everybody and then rick reached out about a week or two later and asked you know you know he knew i'd listened to to a lot of the podcasts over the years so he was curious uh if i was interested in, uh, in contributing and it's something i'd i'd never done before i've been a hockey fan and you know a prospect fan all my life and i've always always enjoyed uh writing just for fun on the side never really done anything else with it though so it's kind of kind of neat to uh to jump in and get get a lot of coaching throughout and be able to write about something that that I'm passionate about. Yeah, what sort of stuff uh, do you enjoy writing about the most? Uh, mostly prospects, honestly. Um, I've been a junior hockey fan my entire life, and that's probably the majority of the hockey that I watch outside of outside of all the Habs games. So it's mostly uh, prospect related. Um, since I joined, I've tried to focus more on Canadian specific prospects, but I do across the board right about basically any any game i see i try to do a little bit of a write-up on whether it's junior b junior a ohl 
World Juniors game, however however low or, or high of a tier you want to look at it. If it's a game I enjoy and the player stands out to me, I'll do a little bit of research and just kind of put down my thoughts on paper. And Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. Uh, you mentioned uh, that for the most part you're a junior hockey fan, but you also do like the Habs. So did you grow up a, a Habs fan? Uh, how did you like become a fan of the Habs in general? I did, yeah. So we actually were originally from Switzerland, my family and I. So we moved here in 1998 when I was uh, 10 years old. Well, I'd never seen a game of hockey before that. We were big uh, soccer fans. That's the majority of what we watched. So as soon as I saw a game, it was, I was very, very intrigued by it, kind of the physicality and honestly, the, the creativity too. Soccer at that point had kind of become stale for me, to be quite honest. <laughs> it's a game I still <laughs> love to this day and still play to this day, but I think hockey is a lot more creative when you look at the speed and um, just all the different variations that you can do in that tight of a space with five players that are kind of on the five on five, obviously, instead of having a massive field and 12 on 12 and very structured, it's, it's a lot, a lot quicker. And it just seemed like it was a lot more creative. And that's how, that's how I became a fan of hockey. And then pretty quickly, I became a fan of the Habs once my brother picked the local team, the Leafs. I obviously couldn't, uh, <laughs> couldn't just follow the local team and needed a different team from what my brother was following. So I kind of did a little bit of research and figured out pretty quickly that the Habs were not only one of their biggest rivals, but were a much more successful team too when it comes to Hamana Stanley Cups. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like you made the good decision. Uh, your brother, your brother's decision uh, seems a little bit questionable. <laughs> but uh, I guess just following up, uh, going from a soccer fan to a hockey fan, uh, how did you find that adjustment? Uh, I know a lot of people who are used to watching soccer have trouble adjusting to the speed of hockey. Was that uh, an issue with you at all? Um, at first I wasn't watching the game properly. That was definitely an issue because I watched the puck. So the first, first couple of years when I was younger, I was a big puck watcher. And after reading, you know, a few hockey books and even a few coaching books, I'm very passionate about coaching as well in any aspect in life. I mean, it's kind of automatically gone towards sports, but even like in business or in personal aspects. So just through reading, I learned that really the last place you should be watching is where the puck is. If the camera is automatically going to put you there. You should be much more interested in where the puck is going and how kind of the play is developing. So as soon as I flip the switch to that, which is not easy to do if you're used to watching a ball or a puck all the time, as soon as kind of that switch happened in my head, it was a lot easier, not only a lot easier to follow, but a lot easier to understand why certain things were happening. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, when you started watching, did you grow up with a particular favorite player? Um, Saku Koivu was one that I immediately went to. Uh, obviously, not very good Habs teams when I was watching. <laughs> quite honestly, there was a lot of not necessarily rebuilds, but retools after retools before the salary cap came in. So it was a little a little difficult at times if you were just watching for success. But Koivu was one player that. Um, I really respected his, uh, his, not only his hard work, but kind of his, his leadership style as well. And he was never really the best player on any of those teams. He was never really the most offensive. He was just always there, always, always involved, it seemed like, and just seemed like a really good leader. And then when he went through the, the whole cancer scare too, that was really, really motivating uh, for me as well when he, when he came back. 
and uh, I still remember that ovation to this day at uh, that last game of the season there when he returned. Yeah, great moment for sure. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, where are you located uh, on the map, and uh, are there a lot of Habs fans around there? You mentioned your brother uh, decided to be a Leafs fan. Or are you outnumbered by the Leafs fans where you where you are? I'm definitely outnumbered, but I choose my friends wisely. <laughs> so I'm located, uh, it's a small farming community. It's called Hanover, Ontario. Um, it's two hours north of Toronto. But for Habs fans, the easiest way to locate me will be in between the Guelph Storm and the Owen Sun Attack. Nice. Like almost almost directly in between, which coincidentally is where uh, Nick Suzuki uh, played uh, his junior hockey <laughs> for both of those teams. Nice. Uh, out of uh, outside of Rocket Sports, uh, you mentioned that you live in a farming community. So, what is it that uh, you do when you're not writing? You probably could have guessed it. I'm an organic dairy farmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we manage uh, we manage just over 300 acres. My dad and I, and uh, I milk about 45 cows. Nice. And uh, I guess circling uh, back to the Montreal Canadiens just a little bit, uh, have you attended uh, many Habs games throughout your lifetime? Uh, were they in Montreal? Were they uh, maybe closer to Toronto or Ottawa? Where about were they? Growing up, I saw a couple in Buffalo. Oh. Uh, my first uh, Habs game in Montreal at the Bell Centre was uh, three years ago. I went with my wife over uh, Christmas and yeah, just what a phenomenal experience. Like it was a game that honestly even at the time didn't really mean much it was around christmas time there's a kind of a big lull going into it a lot of injuries you kind of tell where the season was heading and it was against the colorado avalanche who were just coming off of a huge win over the leafs and you didn't have great feelings going into the game but just being in montreal being around the bell center on a saturday night it was unbelievable like you would have thought they were playing for the stanley cup that night from like the crowd reactions and the excitement going into it it was it's hard not to not to get caught up in it yeah i've been to the bell center uh once for a game and yeah i agree the the atmosphere is absolutely insane so i, I recommend to anybody to go and check that out at least once in their life whether or not they are a habs fan <laughs> But, uh, go to Laval too. If you're going to make that oh, trip, true. also go to Laval and check out a Rocket game. It's a phenomenal experience. Yeah, very <laughs> underrated. Uh, I think a little bit more cost efficient too, if I'll be honest. But uh, one last thing I'll uh, ask before I let you go here, Mike, is uh, do you have a favorite piece of Habs memorabilia and what is it? I have a 1993 Stanley Cup final puck. Um, when it comes to value, honestly, I don't think it, it's, it's worth anything. It's more, um, it's kind of like a good luck charm of mine that I carry around with me. It's something that I've had since I was 12 years old, I believe. I bought it at a flea market, so I don't even know like who had it before. It's it, like, it wasn't new. It's not in great condition or anything. It's not like in a, in a uh, glass or any kind of protective cover. It's just simply a 93 Stanley cup and, um, a 93 Stanley cup puck there we go and it's something that i've had on even through throughout my uh business travels throughout any big meetings i've had it's something i always had in my laptop bag it's something i always have in my soccer bag it's something i carry in my luggage if i'm traveling somewhere it's that one piece that i never really leave home without so i don't know if you want to call it a good luck charm or what but it's just something i've always had on me and i don't even think about it it just happens <laughs> that's pretty so awesome. i'd say that's probably the most those unique piece i have i you know i'm looking at a whole room of memorabilia kind of around me that's probably the one piece that that means the most to me <laughs> yeah thank you very much for uh taking the time to chat with me today i uh, really appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of your day mike thank you 
Mike's focus is on junior hockey, and and that's uh, he tends to to write about prospects um, for us. Um, and uh, so, if if you have a specific interest, uh, or if you really don't know how you can help out, uh, but you you're passionate about the the uh, Canadians, and you have uh, some talent you think you could contribute, then reach out to us, and we'll see how we can fit you in. Absolutely. And I think uh, throughout the rest of uh, the month of August, we will be sitting down with some of our other contributors. So you'll have an opportunity to get to know them and their stories. And if you like what you hear on there and you think, you know what, I'd like to be a part of this, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We would love to have a conversation with you. And now I think it's a good time to get to our Canadians Connection question of the week. And we ask all of our listeners, do you support a ban on fighting in junior hockey? And... Who was the best fighter you ever saw? We want to make sure we hear from you. Please send us a text at 5853ROCKET. And uh, Rick, there are many ways for listeners to reach out to us. In fact, throughout the weeks, we get all sorts of texts, tweets, emails, and whatnot, don't we? We sure sure do. And sometimes it's tough to to narrow them down as far as uh, the ones we're going to um, read on air. Uh, But to read them on the air, what we really like is to have... Uh, your first name and your location, where you're where you're uh, writing from, um, and uh, but please know that um, no matter whether we read them on the air or not, we'll get uh, back to you. We'll, we like to uh, interact with uh, our listeners. Um, this week uh, we had uh, mostly questions uh, or or comments on uh, on Charlie Lindgren and the five questions uh, that we had with Charlie NHL goaltender Charlie Lindgren. That was Canadians Connection episode two five five, and why Charlie Lindgren? Well, he's he's a great person. He's just a good story in hockey. A member of the Canadians uh, for some years. He's got a great perspective uh, on the Canadians, on the league, uh, on goaltending, and uh, just on on life. Um, and that kind of fits in with uh, Henry in Sioux Lookout, Ontario, who reached out via Facebook and and said, "quote." Carrie, that's Carrie Price. Carrie will always be my favorite Habs goalie, but I really like Charlie. He likes hunting and fishing and seems like a normal guy. And uh, for that, uh, Henry, I, I can confirm. Uh, Charlie is 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 a down to earth, uh, genuine guy, um, and, uh, and and just a wonderful uh, a wonderful hockey story, a wonderful hockey person, a wonderful hockey family. Uh, we also received a text uh, from Shane and. Plattsburgh, New York. Uh, it's of course we have uh, Habs fans from all over the globe to listen to us and like to chime in. Uh, what Shane had to say is recently found your podcast, loved your work on the goaltending series. Great guests, Marty, Charlie, and the Scout. Count me as happy as a happy Habs fan and a new sub. So thank you very much for the sub, Shane, and uh, reaching out to let us know. Uh, we love the compliments, and uh, that's uh, that's a good way to get uh, yourself right on air, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and uh, our final message uh, comes via email from James in North Hatley, Quebec. And uh, Rick, what did he have to say? He says in his email, he says, are people getting carried away with the effect of the trade? Uh, this, of course, the trade that happened uh, earlier in the week, not relating to our last podcast, but uh, the trade that, that uh, brought Jeff Petrie back to Montreal. Um, he, he goes on to say, James does, I was, wasn't expecting to see Pitlick or Hoffman in the lineup anyway. Uh, it will depend on what Hughes gets for Petrie before I can say if this trade is a big win. And I think that's a fair point. Um, you know, people are talking about that it's opening up 
um, forward positions for um, for the younger players, and that could be true. Um, you know, there's there was probably prior to the trade maybe 16 forwards that you might consider uh, for those 12 spots. Um, but but was Rem Pitlick in that game, or or was he always going to be uh, put on waivers and sent to? Uh, to Lavelle. Uh, was Hoffman going to be a, a, an every night player? Probably not, unless they were trying to showcase him. Um, so I think, you know, for me, um, the, the second round pick that the Canadians got, not till 2025, but that's a, that's a valuable piece. Uh, whatever they can get for, for Petrie, we'll, we'll add that to the mix and, and uh, then call this uh, a win, or uh, well, I, I think it is a win for for uh, Kent Hughes. But how big of a win, um, I think, is is the issue that that James is raising, and I'd have to agree with him there. Yeah, absolutely. So we appreciate all the messages that we get throughout the week, and uh, we look forward to continuing to reading other messages on future episodes as well. Uh, coming up this week, uh, for those in Montreal, uh, well, Ricky Gervais is going to make an appearance at Place Bell. Uh, so if you're uh, nice. in that area, you'll definitely want to head out to that comedian. Uh, it doesn't always happen at a big arena and uh, one of the original uh, actors on uh, the British version of The Office. So if you're a fan of that, uh, it seems like a pretty awesome uh, thing to head out to, doesn't it, Rick? Nice little concert at uh, uh, Place Bell before the ice goes in. And, uh, of course, if you're keeping an eye on festivals, uh, we have Il Sonic at uh, Parc Jean Drapeau. Uh, that's an electronic music festival. So for those into that sort of thing, uh, you'll find all sorts of great electronica artists. So on that note, that's going to be a wrap for us today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Canadians Connection podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Also, share on social media if you like what you heard. Enjoy your week, and we'll be back here next Saturday, August the 19th. And in fact, I'll be heading off on vacation for a couple weeks, so it's going to be Amy Johnson in the hosting chair, so make sure that you tune into that. Uh, Thank you all for listening to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadians Connection. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rocket Sports. Rocket Sports.